We're going to continue to worship the Lord this morning with our gifts, our tithes, and our offerings. And I want to let you know something uh, that's pretty cool that we're able to do. Uh, this Friday, um, there's, the Tim Tebow Foundation is doing a thing called Night to Shine, which they're doing all across the country. They've been doing it for a few years now. And what they do is they make a prom night for special needs kids. Uh, so what's going to happen, the role that we're going to be able to play in it is they called us and said, we're looking for a location where we can have our glam squad come in. And um, what that means is lots of glitter and nail polish and stuff like that, which is like everything I'm opposed to now that we have carpet. But <laughs> people are way better than carpet. And so they said, we don't really have a budget, so we can't afford a lot for rental. And I was like, no way, there's no way we would take your money. Like, we're just so honored that we get to be a part of something like that. Because we believe that's kingdom-minded, it's showing worth and value and love to people. That's what we're about as Radiant Church. So I said, come on in, make it happen. And so this Friday, the Glam Squad is going to be here getting kids all dolled up and looking pretty for their prom night. So thank you guys that we can do something like that, that we have a building. If we were still in the movie theater, I'd have to be like, uh, no, they're going to be showing Batman or something. So we can't do that. But... God's been faithful, he's provided for us, and I'm excited about that. And Father, uh, today as we give back, we're so grateful that you first gave to us. And Jesus, we think of every one of these kids that's going to be going to their prom night. And Jesus, we pray that, that through all of this, through the love and the care and the attention they receive, uh, even just through your anointing over this building, God, as they come in, that, that they would somehow know the love that you have for them. God, that they would know the beauty that they have, that they would know the worth and the value that they have, that they were created to be princes and princesses. Jesus, that's who you see them as, it's who you've called them to be. Jesus, would you make that somehow uh, confirmed in their hearts in their time that's here on Friday? And thank you that we get to be a part of something like that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you're new here today, thank you so much for being our guest we know there's a lot of things you could have done, like stay home and not risk dying on 94 today, but you chose to brave it and to be here with us, and we're so honored by that. We'd love to know that you were here. In the seat backs in front of you are some communication cards. We'd love to have you fill one of those out, and you can turn it in at Guest Central, which is just as you exit the auditorium. It'll be straight ahead of you. We have some people that would love to meet you, and also we have a free Radiant little gift bag for you as our way of saying thank you so much for being here. And also, next Sunday, uh, after the second service, we're going to have our new to Radiant get-together. That's just about 30 minutes. If you're new to the church, want to know more about the vision, the values, how you get plugged in, and what's going on, uh, that's a great opportunity for you to do that. Um, it's just 30 minutes with me, sharing the heart of Radiant Church. You get to ask some questions and, and see if this is the place that God's calling you to make your church family and your home. And um, There's one thing I can do is talk a lot, and I can really talk a long time about Radiant Church, so you'll be in for a treat or a disaster. One of the two. I think I've under and oversold it all at the same time. Uh, also, we have our breakthrough groups coming up. They are going to be um, starting in two weeks on the 18th. We start a series breakthrough, which is all about the idea that every one of us, uh, there's more of God for us that we want to pursue after. There's more of God's blessing. There's more of what God's called us to than we are currently experiencing. And what we can do is we can look through the pages of our Bible and we can see different examples of people who were able to move into God's miraculous breakthrough in their life. So for six weeks, we're going to be studying that. Um, and then what will also happen is there will be groups that go along with it, breakthrough groups that will be meeting. We have them from like all the way down in Manchester all the way over to Superior Township. So like there's a good spread. There's going to be something that's nearby you. It'll be once a week for the six weeks we're doing our series, getting together for about an hour and a half in someone's home or some of them are here. And it's just going through a book and a little video teaching and helping talk with other people and encourage each other and pray for each other and look at how it is that you can see breakthrough in your life. Uh, if you're like, well, I don't really want to do that, well, if you need friends. So I'd encourage you to get in a group for breakthrough and get in a group for friends because the church is a lot better when we're a family. The church is a lot better when you have some friends and people that you know. So take advantage of it. Maybe you've never been in a group before. Uh, this is a great time to try it because it's only six weeks. And after six weeks, you can be like, see you guys. Like, uh, that wasn't for me. But uh, it will be for you. I am really doing a bad job of selling everything today. <laughs> every eye closed, every head bowed. No, we're done. Okay, I'm just going to move on. Breakthrough. Yeah. Uh, turn to Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 20. If you have your Bibles with you today, Leviticus chapter 20 and Ephesians chapter 5. We're continuing in our series, 21 Days of Prayer, which is way past 21 days now, but we just keep it going. We only have one more week left of it after this. 
And the idea has been, uh, we want to connect with God, and the way that we connect with God is through prayer, and we want to disconnect from the world, and the way that we disconnect from the world is through fasting. So now that we've learned about prayer and fasting, it's, now we're putting it into practice in our lives. And I've been teaching the last couple weeks on what it is that we collectively are praying for as Radiant Church. And the first week was talking about a passion for Jesus. That we as Radiant Church, as a church body, and then also us as individuals, we want to be a people that are filled with passion for Jesus. It's our driving force and motivation in life. We want to be those that uh, when someone's around us, they might not know a lot about us, but the one thing they're going to know is that these people are passionate about Jesus. Uh, and then last week we talked about we want to be people of great faith, meaning that we have put our trust fully in God, and we're believing him for everything that he said. Our hope isn't in this world. We recognize that we live in this world as exiles, and that God has something that's more for us. And that's what we're looking forward to through the eye of faith. And Jesus built up that trust in us, and nothing would shake us, and nothing would deter us from that. And today what we're going to talk about, uh, and one of the things that's really been on my heart a lot for who we need to become as Radiant Church, especially in this new year, is a holy people. Is that God's really calling us as Radiant Church, as the, the people, the individuals of Radiant Church, to become a holy people. And that word holy, it has a lot of different connotations in it. Some of it would say that means you're just a legalistic jerk uh, because of different people you've experienced or the way that it's been portrayed in our society. But that's not what it means at all. Uh, some of you would think it just means moral purity, which is an aspect of it. Some of you would think it might mean it's being consecrated to something, and that's an aspect of it as well. But to really get a full sense of, of what it means for us to be a holy people, we need to go back to the book of Leviticus and what's happened is God has rescued the Hebrew people out of Egypt. They were living as slaves. They were under the oppression of Pharaoh. They had no control, no power over their lives. And God comes and he sends Moses and he says, you know, go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. If you've seen the movies, you know how that all works. Uh, Pharaoh says, no, there's signs and wonders. And eventually uh, God leads them miraculously out of the land of Egypt. And he's taking them to the land of promise. He's saying, you were living as people who were slaves. And now I'm going to take you to the land of promise where you're going to be free people. He gets them out into the desert, and uh, God comes and he actually appears to them at Mount Sinai. And he comes, and it's like the thick, tangible cloud of God. He comes and he wants to speak to his people. And the people freak out because they're in the presence of God, and they say, like, this is crazy, Moses. You just go talk to God and tell us what God says, and we'll do whatever he tells us to. And that wasn't God's intent, that wasn't his plan, it wasn't what he wanted, but he was willing to meet us at that place. And so Moses goes up and he gets what's called the law. And this is the way that you're supposed to live your life. And I was talking in uh, my staff meeting a couple weeks ago about how there's this incredible moment where God's taking you from being a slave and he's taking you into living now as a free person. He's taking you from where you're oppressed. Now he's showing you how it is that you can live according to his will and to his plan for his purposes and he starts giving them a whole bunch of rules about things and how they're supposed to live. And one of the things that I was amazed by in reading through my Bible this year was, like, there's a lot of rules about oxen. You're like, yes, God saved us. He's taken us to the land of promise. We're his special people. And now, well, I got to do what with oxen now? Okay, so I put a fence around my oxen. It's like, you didn't know that you're supposed to put a fence around your oxen? Like, you have to keep your oxen from escaping. If your ox gets out, you need to replace the crops that it eats from your neighbor. If, if your ox gores someone, then you get in trouble. It's like all of these rules about how they're supposed to live. And we look at the laws, there's tons and tons of rules about the way that they're supposed to live. And we might look at it and say, did someone really t need to tell you that you need to do some of these things? Well, you've got to remember, they've been living as slaves. They've never had anything. They've never had to interact with each other in a godly way. They were just oppressed. They were just abused. They were shaped by their culture entirely. And now God's telling them how it is that they live according to his will, to his plan, and to his purpose. So it's just going through lots of this is what you do, this is what you don't do, this is what you do, this is what you don't do. Just lots of what. But in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26, we get to the beautiful why. Like this is why God's telling us all of these things about how we're supposed to live our lives. And it says in Leviticus 20, 26, You are to be holy to me, because I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. The first thing that God's revealing to the people, the why behind it, is he says, I'm holy. And that's the starting point for everything for us as the church, as people who follow after Jesus, is this revelation of the fact that God is holy. 
That means he's morally pure. That's one of the things we'd think about the most. But it's more than that. God's unique. He's different. He's set apart. He's not like us. He's not common. When we think about God, he's the one that has always been and always will be. He has no beginning and he has no end. That is something that makes him holy. It's completely different from us. It's completely different from everything we've ever experienced or encountered in our life. Everything has a beginning and an end except God. That sets him apart. That makes him different. He's powerful. He's the God that he spoke everything into being. It says, he just said, let there be light, and there was light. Let there be stars and planets, and there were stars and planets. He, everything that he does, it says that there was nothing, and then he spoke, and everything was. That's power. When I speak, I can't even get my kids to clean their room. God's like creating planets and stars with his words. Nothing's impossible for him. He's so pure. He's so good. When you're in the presence of God, and you know, really the reason that we follow after God is because we had this revelation of his holiness. It wasn't that someone sat you down and opened up their Bible and said, all right, I'm going like, to beat you into theological submission so that you understand that you should submit yourself to Jesus and follow after him. Like, that doesn't work. That's not why you follow Jesus. What happened was you had an encounter with the holiness of God. There was this moment where the physical realm was stripped back and you encountered his glory. You encountered his beauty, his goodness, his power. And it wasn't someone's argument that convinced you. It was that you encountered Jesus. And because of that encounter with his holiness, and you recognized his otherliness, that he wasn't like you, you encountered his goodness. And that's what happened. Like, I encountered the goodness of God, and I was blown away by his beauty, and I was like scared because of my own sinfulness. The reason I decided to repent and to follow after Jesus was because I recognized how pure, how perfect, how holy he was, and how unlike him I was. That's the way it is for everybody in the Bible. I love in Isaiah, he's in the temple. And as he's in the temple, one day he's working. And he has this like, encounter with God. It says that he sees the feet of God sitting on the throne and his robe is filling the whole room that he's in and there's smoke and all of this stuff going on. And he says, when he encounters God in his presence and his holiness that way, he says, woe is me, I am undone for I have seen the holy God and I'm an unclean man. But that's the reaction that Isaiah has when he sees how holy God is. He always knew God was holy because he had scripture and he knew that about God. But then he had this moment of where he saw God. He had this moment where he was in the presence of God. And one Bible translates it as, uh, like, it's over for me, is what he said. He expected that he was going to die because he was sinful. He became aware of his sinfulness in the presence of such a pure and holy and beautiful God. The holiness of God is, is sort of like the sun. The sun is good. Without the sun, there'd be no beauty in the world. All the beauty that we see is because of light bouncing off of objects. That's how we see beauty. There would be no life on our planet without the sun. It's goodness. It gives us warmth. There would be no life without that. If it were to go away, all life would cease to exist very, very quickly. The sun is good. But as you get closer to the sun, your, the limitations of your body can put yourself in a place of where you can actually be destroyed because of the goodness of the sun the closer you get to it. It's not that there's anything wrong with God. He's just so perfect. He's so pure. He's so holy that when we in our flawed, sinful state encounter his presence, it causes fear to come inside of us. A lot of times in the Bible you see people encounter God and they fall down on their face like dead people or they say, I'm going to die. And God's always having to say, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, and he's picking them back up and, he, and he's getting them going again. Holy is the only word that we have that can really describe God. When we see the picture of heaven in Revelation, it says that the angels are flying around in the seraphim. They're flying around the throne room of God. They're, they're sitting around the actual King Jesus seated on the throne. And they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. And it says that they're saying this over and over again for all of eternity. And all the people that are there before us, they're falling down on their knees and they're worshiping Jesus. And they're saying, holy, 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 because they just recognize how beautiful, how good, how different he is from them. And in the presence of God, everything about our lives and everything about our hearts 
changes. That's why the presence of God is the number one value that we have as Radiant Church. And I'm all about, uh, you know, preaching the best that I can, but it really doesn't matter if there's no presence of God. Like, I can't preach you into heaven. I can't preach you into repentance. Uh, I love our worship team. I love our tech team. I love our kids' ministry, the people that are greeting you. We have some of the friendliest people greeting you when you come in, and that's awesome. But nobody can handshake you into salvation. Like, it's not possible. But what happens is when you get into a room like this, and as we're worshiping and we're, we're declaring the goodness of God and we're encountering him, for some of you, you've had that happen of where you've encountered the presence of God. You've seen his holiness and you've realized how good he is and it puts you in the place of where you wanted to follow after him. That's what we're about as Radiant Church. That's why our vision is we're trying to create places where people encounter the presence of God because when we encounter his presence, we see his holiness. His holiness exposes how good he is and his goodness leads us to that place of repentance where we decide, I'm going to follow after you, Jesus, because I've seen you. I've seen how holy you are and there's nothing else that I want now than you. God is holy. And this is what he says too is not only is he holy, but it says that God has set you apart. That God has taken you and that he has set you apart. The pure, the perfect, the holy God. What he's doing is he's taken the Hebrew people, he's led them out of Egypt where they were living as slaves, where they were oppressed, where they were in bondage, and it says that he's taken them and now he's setting them apart from all other nations. He's making them special. He's making them unique. He's making them so that they're different. They're not like everybody else. Just as God is unique and he's not like everybody else, it says now that God's people, what he's done is that he's called you to follow after him. And in doing that, he's made it so he set you apart so that you're different from everybody else on the face of this earth. And what makes us so unique, what makes us so special, what makes us so different from everybody else is his very presence in our life. This is what, what God does when he calls them out of Egypt. He says, what's going to mark you and define you? Remember, these are people, they have no identity. The only identity that they have is that they're slaves. The only identity that they have is that they're worthless. The only identity that they have is that they're going to spend the rest of their life in bondage against their will serving someone else. That's the only identity that they have. And now God comes to them and he says, I've set you apart. You used to be a slave, but I've made you someone who's free. Used to be someone who was in bondage, but now you're going to be someone who lives in my blessing in your life. You used to be someone who was oppressed, but now you're going to experience my favor. I've set you apart. You're different from everybody else on the face of this earth. You're the people that have my presence in you. So it makes us different from everyone else. It's that the Holy Spirit's in us. That the very presence of God is with us. If you decided that you were going to be a disciple of Jesus, the moment that you bent your knee to him and said, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. Because of your goodness and your holiness, I'm going to follow after you. Whatever it is you say, whatever it is you do, wherever you lead me, I'm going to follow after you because I've seen how good you are. And because I know how good you are, I can trust you with my life. When you made that decision, it says that the Holy Spirit came and lived in you, that you became the temple of the living God, that it wasn't just that he lived in a temple that we made. We're always trying to make these places. We're consecrating things. We're making a place, God, I want you to live here. God, I want to make a place that's acceptable for you. Well, when we make the decision to follow after Jesus, he makes us acceptable to be the temple where he dwells. And that's what sets you apart from every other person on the face of this earth. And then the reason why he set us apart, it says, is to be his own. It says that the holy God, he came and he set you apart from everybody else for the purpose of you being his own. Now, the best way that I can understand this is with my own kids. There's a lot of kids in the world, turns out, a whole lot of them. And I think that most of us would say that we love kids. You might not like kids, but you love kids, or that you see the value of them. 
You don't want to see kids hurt. You want to see kids live with good things happening to them, not bad things happening to them. You would make sacrifices for kids. If you saw a kid that was just on his own on the street corner, you wouldn't just leave him there. Like, because you have a love for children, hey, where's your parents? Are you okay? Do we, need to, do we make a call to someone? Like, what's going on here? Because you wouldn't want to leave them by themselves and have something bad happen to them. You would do something like that for them. But there's a difference between just kids in general and the love that you have for kids and the love that you have for your kids. And the reason is because they're your own. I love all of your kids, but I love my kids more. It's not that my kids are worth more than your kids, because they aren't. There's no difference in value of one human life over the other. But my kids, they're mine. If you have kids, you know what that's like. There's just a love that you have for your kids that's different from the love that you have for anyone else in this world. And what it means is that when someone is your kid, it means that they have entitlement to you. They have rights to you. They have access to you that other kids don't have. If your kid is up throwing up all through the night, I'll be like, say a prayer for them. God bless you. I'm not coming to your house because I don't want that. When my kids are throwing up through the night, I'm holding them. I'm getting it on me. Why? Because they're my kids. They're my own. I love them in a way that I don't love other kids. My kids receive blessing from me that other kids don't receive. My kids receive favor from me that other kids don't receive. Why? Because my kids are my own. They bear my name. They are browns. They bear my image. God help them. But they're mine. They're special to me. They're set apart to me. And this is what God's saying he's doing with you. It says that he came and he set you apart from everybody else so that you could be his own, so that you could be his son, so that you could be his daughter, so that you could have the rights, so that you could have the access, so that you could have the privileges that sons and daughters have from their heavenly father. It's what he created you for. It's what he created you to experience. It's the life that you were always supposed to live. It's the life that Jesus has made possible for you now. Is that he's made it so that you can live as someone who God has chosen and is set apart from everybody else where his very presence dwells inside of you and you're able to live as his own. That kind of love from your heavenly father. Now it's not that God doesn't love everybody because he absolutely does. He loves everybody, but sons and daughters have more access to him and more rights and privileges than the people that are outside of the house of God. It's the way it always is. And what made it so that we could be qualified to have those kinds of rights and privileges and access to God? Nothing that we did. It was everything that Jesus did for us. The only thing that we did was said, Jesus, I believe that you are God. I believe that you did forgive me of my sins. And now I'm going to follow after you with everything that's inside of me. That's what made it so now we were able to receive the blessing of God. When it comes to the prodigal son, I love this story for so many reasons. But also because it illustrates this. You have the prodigal son, the son of the house. Father loves him. There's an inheritance for him. There's blessing. There's favor, privileges, and access that he has. But he walks away from all of it to go live his own life. He leaves the house of his father. He leaves the blessing of his father's house to go somewhere else. That's where every single one of us start out in life, is that we start out that we've separated ourselves from the father. Now, that doesn't mean that the father doesn't love him any less, but he's not able to receive all of the blessing and the favor that would come to him if he were living in the father's house. As long as he's removed and separated himself from his father, he's not able to receive everything the father has for him, even though the father still loves him just as much when he's run away as he is when he's in his own room. But some of us, what's happened is we, just like the, the prodigal son, it says he starts to think about how good life was in his father's house. That even the servants in his father's house had it better than he had it. And so he thought to himself, I'm going to go back to my father's house. I'm going to beg him to see if I can be a servant. So he goes back to the father's house, and it says that the father's watching for him. And sees him when he's still a long ways off. The father is looking for him. All this time the son's been gone, has been rebelling against his father, been squandering everything the father provided for him. And still the father loves him so much that he's looking into the distance, waiting for the day that his son comes home. And as soon as the father sees him, he runs out and greets him. Doesn't even wait for the son to get to him. Sees him and takes off to his son, 
puts the robe around him, puts the ring on his finger, slaughters the fatted calf, and throws a party. And now he's able to receive the blessing of being in his father's house. It's not that the father loved him anymore now that he was back than he did when he was gone, but the son's able to receive the blessing that comes from being in his father's house. That's what it is for us to be his own. It's not that he loves us more than anybody else. He loves us all. But we're able to receive favor and blessing that comes from living in the house of her father. There's blessing that comes from being his own. He set us apart from all other people for the purpose of us being his own. Now in light of that, it says that we are to be holy to God. Because God is holy, because he's chosen us and set us apart when we didn't deserve it, because of the blessing that he wants to pour out on us as his own, because of the fact that we are the temple of the holy God, he says that we need to be holy. We need to be set apart for him. We need to say, our life isn't about all of these things anymore. Our life is set apart for God. One of the best ways I can think of this is using a plate analogy. Uh, we, when we got married, we, had, we got bone china, right? And it's like beautiful, it's awesome, and we never, ever use it because it's only for really special occasions and really special people. Like, we use it to impress. Like, when my pastor comes to visit me, that's when I pull out the bone china. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is what we use all the time. Is like I'm serving up the prime rib and stuff. This is just what we eat every day. Don't all people do this? Like, I pull out everything for him because he's an honored guest. Now you're like, oh, gosh, i got to get out the bone china if Jeremy comes to my house. No. But here's what I do for my kids. I get out the Ikea plastic plates. And you know what my kids do to them? Horrible, horrible things. Like terrible, horrible things to them. Uh, yesterday I was, I was uh, smoking some pulled pork for Super Bowl tonight. And uh, the kids like went out and they got into the smoker with a spoon and they were getting out all of like the rendered rancid pig fat. And they're like putting it on the Ikea plate. And I'm like, ah, ah, like that's disgusting. Like we're going to throw that plate away, keep it outside, do not throw it in the neighbor's yard. Like I don't even want that in my, in my trash. Put it in the neighbor's trash. Come to Radiant Church, neighbor. No. Uh, but if they'd put that on the bone china, like, I would have been ballistic. Because it, like, desecrates something that's so perfect and something that's so beautiful. Like, bone china isn't for rancid pig fat. It's for special people. It's for special meals. You don't just get it out all the time. That's for the Ikea plastic plates. They're going to get beat up and tossed around and banged up. It doesn't matter what happens to them. But my bone china, that's set apart. It's unique. It's not for everybody. It's for the special guest. What God's saying is that you've been selling yourself short. Because you were a slave, because you were in bondage to sin, because you didn't think right about yourself and about me, you were just using yourself for every horrible thing that there is. You were desecrating yourself. You're getting out the pig fat and you're throwing it on the plate and you think it's great like a kid does. Actually, the analogy that, that God uses is even more disgusting. Uh, he tells the prophet Ezekiel, he says, what I want you to do is as a symbol of how I view you, Israel, in your fallenness, as he gives him the recipe for Ezekiel bread. Maybe you've heard of Ezekiel bread before. It's like actually gives him the recipe for Ezekiel bread. And so Ezekiel's like, all right, got it, got it, going to make some money on this one. And uh, then he says, now what I want you to do with this beautiful recipe for this bread I've given you is I want you to cook it over human dung. And then you have to eat it. And Ezekiel's like, what? Like, no. What? No. And it's like he, he barters with God, and God allows him to use like animal dung instead. Like, good negotiating there, Ezekiel. But what it's saying is that what you've done is, like, you, my people, you're like this beautiful recipe. You're this beautiful thing that I've made, but when you live in a life that's filled with sin, it's like cooking it over human dung. It defiles it. And it desecrates it. You were made for more. You were made for me. 
C.S. Lewis said that the problem that we have is that we've, we've been viewing ourselves entirely wrong. We thought that the greatest pursuits in our life were pleasure. We thought that the greatest pursuits in our life were our careers and sex and drinking and, and, and everything else that comes along with it. And C.S. Lewis said that you've sold yourself short. You don't recognize that you were made to be holy to God, that we're the temple where the holy God lives. He dwells inside of us. So when we engage in sin, what we're doing is we're actually defiling, we're desecrating the temple of the living God. It's like we're putting the pig fat on the bone china. God says, you don't do that. You're, des- you're consecrated for me. You're holy. It means you're consecrated. It means that you're unique. It means that you have set yourself apart for me and for my purposes, not for the base and the low things of life. You're created to host me. My presence is supposed to dwell in you. And in light of that, it says that you need to leave all of the other sinful things that you used to do when you were a slave behind. That was dramatic. <laughs> Ephesians 5.3 says, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. It's saying that holiness requires repentance. If we want to live holy, if we want to be the people that are set apart for God, for his purposes, for his plans, if we want to be the people that are his own, if we want to be the people that live not just knowing about God, but knowing God deeply and intimately because he lives in us, we become his temple, then it means that we're going to have to put away all of the other sinful things that we used to engage in. You know what? Nobody had to teach me to be sexually immoral. That just came naturally to me. Nobody had to teach me to be greedy. Nobody had to teach me to be a jerk or unjust or oppressive or any other sort of evil thing. That's what's natural in our human hearts. Every single one of us, that's the place where we start out. But the beauty of the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that even when you were in that place, when you had sold yourself out for something so far less than what you really were created to be, that God didn't despise you in your sin. He didn't despise you because you were sexually immoral or greedy or angry or bitter, unforgiving. He didn't despise you when you were in that place. But he came and he chose you. He chose you when you were far from him. He chose you when you were rejecting him. He chose you when you were desecrating the temple of the holy God. Yet still his love was so great for you that he came for you to set you apart, to be his own. He came so that you could be a daughter. He came so that you could be a son. He came so that you could be the temple where his presence resides. It's not that we wait to go to heaven to know God. It's that heaven is here. It's that heaven is now. Heaven has broken through into this age, has invaded earth and defeated the forces of darkness. And it set us free from the bondage and the slavery to sin that we once lived in. Now we've been called to be holy. We've been called to be set apart. We've been called to be his. But it means that we're going to have to change the way that we think about ourselves. It's going to have to change the way that we think about the holiness and the worthiness of God. It means that we're going to have to change the way that we think. You know what our culture tells us? Every desire that you have, you have to live out. I was born with some really bad desires. Every single one of us. And every day of my life, I'm going to say it's worth saying no to every wrong desire that I have so that I can be his own. It's worth saying no to every wrong desire I have so that I can live as a holy people that's consecrated for God, that's consecrated for his plans and his purposes for my life. It's worth me saying no to every wrong desire I have, no matter how naturally it comes to me, no matter what the cost might be, so that I can be the place where the glory of the living God is. I want to know him here. I want to know him now. And that's worth me saying no to everything else for. Now, I don't want you to to walk out out of any church service that we ever have with just a revelation of God's goodness and holiness, which I'm so grateful for, but also without the revelation of the cost that's associated with following after him. Jesus said this, like the most motivational thing that you could ever say when you're trying to start a following. Take up your cross daily, deny yourself, and follow after me. (laughs) 
That's a high cost. He's saying it's going to cost you your life to follow me. It's going to cost you your desires. It's going to cost you, for some of you, it's going to cost you your family. It's going to cost you friends. It might cost you your career. It might cost you your physical life. But what he's saying is that we bring everything to the table to follow after Jesus and say, it's all yours. I'm leaving everything else behind. I'm repenting, which means I'm changing the way that I think. I'm changing the course and the trajectory of my life. Jesus, because of the fact that I've encountered you and your goodness, because I've seen how beautiful and how holy you are, because I've experienced how much you love me, because of that, I'm willing to leave everything else behind. Because of that, I'm willing to pay any price to follow after you and to be your own. I'm willing to pay any price to be holy so that I can be your temple. I don't want to live a life where I'm defiling and desecrating the temple because you created me for more than that. I want everything you have for me because you're holy. You're not like me. You're set apart, you're unique, you're beautiful, you're just, you're perfect. And yet for some reason, you chose me when I was as messed up as anybody could ever be. Set me apart as your own. You've given me the gift of your presence in me. You've given me the gift of eternity that's with you. Jesus, these next 50 years, they're going to be tough. These next 50 years, I'm going to know pain. I'm going to know suffering because of the decision I've made to follow after you. I'm going to have to deny myself and the things that I want, the things that I desire some of the things that seem right to me or to the culture that's around me. But you're so worth it that I'm willing to pay that price. Here's what happens, too. If we don't live a holy life, it's not just us that pays the price for it. It's not just that we miss out on the blessing of God in our life and knowing him if we don't live a holy life, but other people suffer when we don't live up to our call to be a holy people. It says this in Ezekiel 36, 23. I will show the holiness of my great name which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. See, what God is saying is that our holiness proves God holy to others. The reason why people profane the name of the true, the living God, the holy God, is because of us. It's because we said that we followed after Jesus. We said that we were the people that were marked and defined by the presence of God in our lives. And we were just as greedy, we were just as angry, just as unforgiving, just as bitter, just as selfish, just as sexually immoral as anybody else. And so they looked at us and they said, Jesus, he doesn't have any power because that person claims to follow Jesus and they're just like me. He's not really a God or he's not really good. That's not what I want to hear about my life. That other people profane the name of Jesus because of my unholiness. Here's the flip side. So when we live holy, when we live set apart, when we live saying that my life is about being for his, my life is about being the temple of the Holy Spirit, when I do that, then the other people start to look at me and they say, Jesus has the power to save. Jesus has the power to change his heart because I know Jeremy used to be sexually immoral. I knew Jeremy used to be greedy. I know Jeremy used to be unforgiving. I know Jeremy used to be all of these other things and you can go on and on and on about it for me. But something changed in him. There's a God of freedom. There's a God of purity. There's a God of generosity. There's a God of forgiveness. All of these things. We prove that God is holy, unique, set apart, good, all-powerful, when we become holy, set apart for him. And we've got all these crazy evangelism strategies, and I'm not you know, against them, but this is what churches do. It's like, oh, we just rented a bounce house for your kids. We just want you to come and bounce on a house. And now, no, Jesus, like now I'm going to try to trick you into coming to my church. You bounced on our house, like you should at least come in. 
Or like we go to the homeless shelters and we're like, hey, we'll give you food, but first you have to listen to this presentation about the gospel. All right. I'm sure some people will find Jesus in doing that. You want to know how people are really going to find Jesus? When you live holy. When you live set apart. When you live as his own when you live saying, I'm rejecting all of the sin that used to entrap me and ensnare me and lead me into destruction and bondage, and I'm going to live my life for Jesus and Jesus alone. I'm going to let him create a pure and holy temple in my heart for him to come and to reside and to dwell in me. And when people start seeing the presence and the power of the living God in you, when they start seeing the holy God in your life, you don't have to try to trick them into coming to church with you. They say, why are you happy why did you forgive that person? Why aren't you doing this? Why are you doing that? Like They will come to you because they will see the holy God inside of you. People will come to you. It says this in Isaiah, is that the light is going to dawn upon us, that we're going to become a people who are radiant and that the nations are going to come to us and they're going to want what it is that we have. They're going to want to be holy people too because they see what it looks like to live as a holy person. They're going to want to be his own because they've seen the blessing and the beauty that comes from being his own. When we start taking seriously the call to holiness, the call to being set apart, not to be set apart to our own purposes, but to set ourselves apart for his purposes, that's when we're going to start seeing the blessing of God in our life, and it's when we're going to start seeing the blessing of God extending into our families, and into our circles of friends, and into our workplaces, and into our cities, and schools, and everywhere else we go, because we are the temple of the Holy God, and we're not waiting for them to come into us, we're taking Jesus to them everywhere we go. I'm willing to lay my life down for that. God's called us to be a holy people. Let's not sell ourselves short anymore. Let's take hold of everything that Jesus has for us. Whatever the cost might be. Because it's so worth it. Jesus, would you come? Would you come into this room? God, would you show your holiness to people right now? encounter with your glory. Jesus, would you show us how good you are? Jesus, would that goodness lead us to repentance? Jesus, I ask that you would speak to people right now who are far from you. Tell them how loved they are. God, give them a glimpse of the beauty of the holy call that's on their life. An encounter that goes beyond our reason, beyond our intellect, beyond our senses. An encounter with the holy God. Jesus, would you stir up that desire inside of our hearts to be a holy people? God, would you stir up that desire in our hearts to be set apart for you, for your purposes? Jesus, would you stir up that desire inside of our hearts to walk away from the sin that so easily ensnares us, that comes so naturally to us so that we can be holy, so that we can be like you. God, we don't want to sell ourselves short anymore or give ourselves to everything else. Our lives are set apart. They're holy for you, for you alone, Jesus. And God, would you come, Holy Spirit, would you work conviction inside of our hearts, not condemnation, not guilt, not shame, but the holy conviction, that upward call of Christ to live out everything that you've called us for. God, would you work repentance inside of our hearts this morning? God, would you highlight the sin that we have still allowed to live in our life and that we've embraced? And Jesus, would you show us how it defiles your temple? And God, would we have such a desire stirred up inside of us to be the temple of the living God, to be your holy people? God, that we would have the strength and the conviction to walk away to walk away from the slavery, to walk away from the bondage and the destruction that it leads us into and to live holy, pure, set apart for you and for you alone. Jesus, would you use us to prove your holiness in our city? God, would you use us to prove your holiness in our workplaces and in our families and amongst our friends? 
Jesus, for all of those who are far from you. We know our words can never lead them to you. But the miracle of a transformed heart, God, let that be the proof. Jesus, let our city see your holiness because of the holiness of Radiant Church. God, we commit ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to take communion together. The ushers are going to pass out the elements. Uh, there will be two cups stacked on top of each other. And uh, As I hand that out to you, just go ahead and hold on to that, and uh, then we'll take it together in a little bit. We practice open communion here. That means that if you've decided that you're going to follow after Jesus and be his disciple, then you're welcome to take communion with us. You don't have to be a partner here or you know whatever. But we do ask that if you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus yet, that when it's passed along, just let it go by because we believe it's something that's for the family of God that we do together. And the other thing that it says that, is that if, oh, thank you, is that if you're a Christian here today and you're, you're harboring unforgiveness in your heart towards someone else, it says before you take communion, to go and, and to forgive that person, to ask for their forgiveness. And maybe that person isn't here but you can forgive them in your heart. You can say, God, forgive me for my unforgiveness. I release them from the debt they owe me, whatever else it is. And make this a part of that time where you let go of bitterness and let you let go of unforgiveness as we remember the forgiveness that Jesus has extended to us. drink the juice together. We remember that it was the blood that Jesus shed that set us apart. It was the blood that Jesus shed that made it so we could be the holy temple because it removed all of our sin, all of our guilt, and all of our shame from us. So Jesus, as we drink, we remember the blood that you shed on the cross for the atonement of our sins. take the bread together. We remember that Jesus' body was broken on the cross so that we could be made whole and so that we could be built into the church body, his family, his daughters, his sons, those who are called by his name, those who are his own. So we take the bread together and we remember. Jesus, we thank you that you paid the price that we couldn't pay. We thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your mercy and for your forgiveness. And Jesus, we pray that the fruit of repentance would be born in our lives. That we take hold of everything for which you've called us. That we would be the holy people that you sacrificed yourself so that we could be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The usher is going to pass around a bucket, and you can drop your cups into there. I'm going to invite my prayer partners forward, and they're going to be on the, the outside of the front here. If there's anything that we can pray with you about, we would love to pray with you. We see Jesus move miraculously every week in response to the prayers of his people. Uh, maybe say you need wisdom for decision. Maybe you need encouragement. Uh, maybe you need healing in your body. Whatever it is, Jesus is here, and he is all-powerful, and we would love to pray with you. Also remind you on Thursday nights, we pray here from 8 to 9 p.m. It's an incredible time to come uh, check that out. And then also we have our next worship night coming up on the 18th at 6.30.
which is going to be awesome. Two people excited, three now because I am too. It's a great time to come, be a holy people, and celebrate Jesus. So get those things on your calendar. And then also remember, sign up for a breakthrough group. It's going to be awesome. You will not regret it. You can go to our website and do that or stop by Guest Central if you need help with finding the group. Uh, get signed up. We start in two weeks. We'll see you soon. And God bless.